Blog Talk Radio. Employer 
53% more likely to have an employer-sponsored retirement plan, and 20% more likely to have paid leave. And women in unions earn an average of 13% more per hour in wages. The restaurant industry's CEOs far outpace the earnings of their minimum wage workers. The EPI found the top restaurant CEOs make 721 times the earnings as their minimum wage employees. 721 times. That's, that's incredible. Sometimes makes you sick when you think about it. Infrastructure investment would both boost both growth and the economy significantly. In a separate study, the EPI tested the effects of infrastructure spending and found that debt finance infrastructure investment yielded significant benefits, although those benefits were tempered if the measures were made revenue neutral. An $18 billion investment boosted, boosted the GDP by $29 million and created more than 200,000 new jobs in the first year. A $92 billion invested boosted the GDP $147 billion and created more than 1 million net jobs. A $250 billion investment increased the GDP by $400 billion and employed uh, 3 million new, uh, net new jobs in the first year. While the labor market has finally risen above pre-recession employment levels, but the job gap remains. Key among them are employment hasn't accounted for population growth, so there's still an employment gap. And number two, new jobs created since the recession pay less than the jobs they replace, many failing to put full-time workers into the middle class. Our current tax system subsidizes the wealthy at the expense of poor taxpayers. By keeping reduced rates on capital gains and dividends, and by never applying the income tax to capital gains if the investor dies, our tax system subsidizes the wealthy and increases income inequality by concentrating wealth in fewer hands. So some mixed results on that. Let's see what else we have. Thirteen things you need to know about Social Security disability as Republicans try to dismantle it. Let's see. This is a full event video. I don't know how long it is. Let me just take a look. That would be the wrong thing to do. What? Dismantle Social Security disability? Uh, these Republicans are complete assholes. Yeah, you know that. There's not one of them that makes any sense to anybody under any circumstances other than themselves. I can't imagine they make any sense, sense to themselves. themselves. No, they're idiots. Completely Earlier today, idiots. Senator Sherrod Brown, Democrat of Ohio. Oh, this is an hour. This Good morning, everybody. That's not going to help us. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today. My name is Mira Tannen, and I'm the president. Well, you can't even get rid of the damn Republicans if you try. Okay, uh, let me just read this to you. Uh, spoke Earlier today, Senator Sherrod Brown, Democrat of Ohio, spoke at, a Center for America, at the Center for American Progress event about the Republican attempts to use Social Security disability insurance 
as a way to cut and undercut the whole social security system. Rather than sticking with the conventional wisdom that Republicans, the media, and even some Democrats cling to, Brown argues that we should be doing what we should be doing now is not just protecting Social Security and Social Security disability insurance. We should be expanding the pro the program. Well, I agree with that. Let's see what else she says. Here are 13 important facts about Social Security disability insurance you need to know to counter the right wing sin. Social Security disability insurance provides protection for 90% of America's workers and their families. If a life-changing disability or an illness stops them from being able to work and bring in enough money. Social Security disability insurance pays modest benefits, averaging just $1,140 per month, less than most workers make before they qualify for the program. For 80% of beneficiaries, Social Security disability insurance is the primary or only source of income, and it provides a drastic increase in the quality of life of recipients who might otherwise live in poverty. The eligibility criteria for Social Security disability insurance are among the strictest in the world, and fewer than 40% of recipients of applicants are approved. Nearly 20% of beneficiaries die within five years of obtaining benefits. Nearly nine, million, nearly nine million workers with disabilities receive Social Security disability insurance benefits, including more than one million veterans. More than 150,000 spouses and nearly two million children are also receiving benefits. Beneficiaries pay into the Social Security Disability Insurance as a portion of their Social Security payroll tax. The current tax rate is 6.2%, the first 117,000 of earnings a worker makes. 5.3% goes to the Old Age and Survivors Insurance Trust Fund. <coughs> Excuse me. The rest goes to the Social Security Disability Insurance Trust Fund. Number eight. Only one-third of private sector workers has employer-provided employer long-term disability insurance, and most of those plans often provide less than Social Security disability insurance. Only 7% of workers who make $12 an hour or less have such insurance. Most private long-term disability insurance plans are too costly for most workers. Most beneficiaries in their 50s and 60s, most beneficiaries are in their 50s and 60s, with the average age being 53. Fewer than 4% of beneficiaries earned more than $10,000 during the year. The United States ranks 30th out of 34 OECD member countries in terms of replacement benefit payouts for workers with disabilities. A temporary real allocation of how the 6.2% payroll tax is divided between Social Security Disability and OASI would ensure that both trust funds would be able to remain solvent until 2033 and would alleviate the shortage in SSDI funds caused by demographic trends. Beneficiaries <coughs> <excuse me, coughs> face 
a wide range of significant disabilities, with many having multiple impairments, which include 31.8% have a primary dose diagnosis of a mental impairment, including 4.2% with intellectual disabilities, and 27.6% with other types of mental disorders such as schizophrenia, post-traumatic stress disorder, or severe depression. 29.8% have a muscular, skeletal, or connective tissue disorder. 8.7% have a cardiovascular condition, such as chronic heart failure. 9.3% have a disorder of the nervous system, such as cerebral palsy, multiple sclerosis, or a sensory impairment, such as deafness or blindness. 20.4% include workers living with cancer, infectious diseases, injuries, genitin genitourinary impairments such as end-stage renal disease, disease congenital disorders, me metabolic uh, and endocrine diseases such as diabetes, diseases of the respiratory system, and diseases of other body systems. You can watch the entire event and uh, other experts speak about Social Security Disability Insurance if you go to the AFL-CIO blog and there's a, a whole discussion. They have the whole uh, event on video. It's about an hour long, but I think it might, might be worth uh, listening to simply because the Republicans are making an assault on Social Security. They're trying to get rid of it. Low-wage villains of the week and UPS and Staples. In our new regular feature, we'll be taking a look at villains who are doing their best to prevent the United States from raising wages for all or some Americans. In this series, we're going to look past the usual suspects. For example, while it is true that too often elected officials get in the way of a fair economy, we want to dig a little deeper. Let's see what they say. we're focusing on Staples, the office supply chain store in the United States Postal Service. Staples and the United States Postal Service have, have teamed up to scheme a privatization deal of retail post office workers. USPS is contracting services to Staples with postal counters staffed with low-wage, non-union, high turnover Staples employees rather than postal employees who have a voice on the job through their union, postal workers, APWU. The USPS began contracting out postal services to Staples in October. So far, 80 Staples stores are part of the pilot program, but the post office plans to expand the scheme to 1,500 Staples locations nationwide. What's really cynical about this pirate program is the Postal Service is hoping the convenience of Staples' longer hours is a draw for customers, while it simultaneously eliminates regular public post offices and redu jobs and reduces their hours. 
Postal union members have been speaking out against this privatization scheme all over the country in rallies and actions outside Staples pilot program locations. Some union members even held proxies and were able to attend the Staples shareholders meeting in June. The AFL and CIO and several major unions have endorsed the postal workers boycott of Staples. If you want if you go to this blog and you want to send a message to Staples CEO Ron Sargent that you will not shop at Staples until this program is been canceled or it decides to hire the employees of the U.S. Post Office, then you can sign a postcard right on this site and it will get sent to him. For continuing the trend of taking good, stable jobs and turning them into low-wage professions, Staples and the post office are, low are the low-wage villains of the week. <coughs> so that's something important to, to keep in mind. You can go to this blog and you can find something and it gets sent to the head of Staples that you won't stop at Staples until they employ um, union workers. I think that's important certainly need to pay people. Let's see. States that have raised the minimum wage this year have faster job growth. In the 13 states that saw their minimum wage rise on January 1, 2014, job growth has been highest so far this year than in states where the minimum wage stayed the same. Extreme pro-business interests often argue that raising the minimum wage will lead to job losses. But once again, the evidence suggests otherwise. The Center for Economic and Policy Research looked closely at the data and found states that raised the minimum wage increases have seen an average increase in the employment of 0.99%, while the static state states are an increase of only 0.68%. Uh, let's see, who raised the minimum wage? 13 states. One, two, three. Let's see, I've got to read a little more. Let's see if they say anything else. Oh. Of the 13 states, all but New Jersey saw employment gains, and nine of the 13 states are above the median state in job growth. Four of the 13 states saw their minimum wage increase because of new legislation, while the rest saw automatic increases related to inflation. The states in question are, and these are the ones that raised the minimum wage, Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Florida, Missouri, Montana, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Oregon, Rhode Island, Vermont, and Washington. So that's good. Important. And it proves how wrong the Republicans are that they keep going on and on about raising the minimum wage, how it's going to affect business when it's really increased business and people's lives are better. Okay. That's not funny. When is 
and losers of the week. In our regular weekly feature, we'll be taking a look, taking a look at the winners and the losers of the week in the struggle for the rights of working families. The winners will be the person or persons or organizations that go above and beyond to expand or protect the rights of working families, while the losers will be whoever went above and beyond to limit or deny those rights. Let's see who they've named this week. The winner, the Illinois Supreme Court for voting 6 to 1 to allow a lawsuit to protect the health benefits of the state's retirees to move forward, giving hope that the court will side with the retirees on the case where Republicans in the state legislature sought to require retirees to pay exorbitant new fees. The runner-up, California court drivers for standing up for their right to form a union and opposing employee misclassification. Loser, T-Mobile CEO John Laguerre, because even if other telecommunications companies are changing their charging their customers too much, comparing high rates to weight just isn't funny. No, it isn't. Run them up, El Centro, California government for joining a lawsuit to pay workers less, despite having one of the highest unemployment rates in the country. Anything else, sir? Let's see. Those were the articles that I thought were really important. Let me just take a look and see. I want to go to the next page in case there's one there that I'm forgetting. These were really very good. Oh, let's see. This might be kind of fun. Why don't we end this with this? Archie Bunker's brilliant summary of what equal pay would do to America. And this is by Brandon Weber. Can you move your hands up?
When you see the day that they're giving women the same pay as men and giving women the same jobs, where the hell is it all going to end? What are you going to say when a woman is managing the mess? I'll say we have equality, right? Right. Right, Michael? <laughs> Think about that a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And while you're thinking about it, think about this. Equality is unfair. <laughs> That's right. What's the point of a man working hard all his life, trying to get someplace, if all he's going to do is wind up equal?
Um, USA to Israel, $3 billion annually. USA to Detroit, zero. Imagine that. U.S. funds Israel's glittering cities and brutal occupation laws. Uh, uh, our own cities rot and de- uh, for de- from decades of been collapsed. Uh-huh. You know? Well, we don't even have to go very far. Hartford's fallen apart. No money put into it. Oh, all all of our major cities. Yeah, uh, Waterbury. Especially here in Connecticut. Bridgeport. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know where you live, but, you know, I'm sure your cities are probably hurting, too. But uh, nowhere, nowhere, nowhere is it more obvious than in Connecticut, well, except maybe Michigan. Well, in Connecticut, you have such a stark contrast. You have the Greenwich and Westport, where all the wealthy people live and they commute to New York and right. internationally. And well, we got them, yeah. So. And then that's in contrast with uh, Bridgeport and uh, Hartford and Waterbury, yeah. New Britain, Bristol, yeah. really poor city. Let me do this. Let me do All right. Um, what, what bothers me, what's been bothering me all week is, is this Palestinian-Israeli issue. I mean, it's so blatantly sick. It's unbelievable. Okay, uh, Gaza's Groundhog Day is a reoccurring nightmare of Israel's barbarism. This says stop the war coalition. Israel ulti- Israel's ultimate target is not Hamas, says Matt Carr, but the dreams of the Palestinian people and the prospect of peace and real justice. After nearly a month of trying, Netanyahu and the Turkish government have got their war, and once again the Palestinians of Gaza have borne the brunt of it. Last night, Israel carried out 160 airstrikes on the Gaza Strip. But they don't mention that on mainstream. No, of course not. And bringing Palestinian casualties to 25 dead and 70 wounded, including four women and three children. So far, the IDF has attacked 440 targets in Gaza as part of the Operation Protective Edge, and there is a lot worse to come. Israel continues to mass troops for a ground invasion. Operation Protective Edge is so similar to its predecessors that anyone who might have fallen into a coma in 2009 or 2013 and woke up now might be forgiven for thinking that time is truly frozen still. For the people of Gaza, it is a reoccurring nightmare, a ritual of high-tech violence that seems almost predestined to occur every two or three years. Once again, Gazans have begun receiving the phone calls and letters from the IDF telling them to leave their homes because they are about to be bombed. Once again, Israeli military spokesmen talk of bombing terror sites and sites of terror activity and targeting Hamas command and control centers. Once again, the ghastly minister of propaganda, Mark Ripjiv, stalks the TV studios with his dead eyes and puppet-like mouth to talk about putting an end to Hamas rocket attacks and dismantling Hamas's military machine, and no other country could tolerate aggression, etc., etc. Once again, as an operation, 
hot winter Operation Cast Lead and Operation Pillar of Defense, Israel has, pre- has presented its latest gratuitous uh, uh, assault as a response to Palestinian terrorism. And once again, the power that be have accepted his justification and put the blame of his confrontation uh, exclusively on Hamas. No country can accept rocket fire aimed at civilians, and we support Israel's right to defend itself against the vicious attacks, said White House spokesman Josh Ernst, uh, like a zombie reading from an auto cue. Entirely absent from such condemnation is any recognition whatsoever that this was a confrontation which Israel wanted and did everything it could to provoke, as Justice Schweigel points out in Asia Times Offline, the Israeli authorities knew uh, from the outset that the three teenage hitchhikers had been killed, not kidnapped, and arrested the people they thought responsible within days of their disappearance. Yet from t- June 12 until last week, the Israeli government suppressed these facts and maintained the fiction that it was looking for the teenagers. During time, the IDF carried out a massive military operation on the West Bank, raiding villages and towns, demolishing and vandalizing private homes and offices, killing five Palestinians and arresting 700 people, 150 of whom were placed in administrative detention without charge. Wow. Yeah, I mean, this is a criminal state. Israel is a criminal state. It should be blown off the face of the world, you know, just blown off. All right? It's a criminal state. As Human Rights Watch observed, these operations specifically targeted Hamas, which Netanyahu blamed for the kidnappings, even though Hamas denied any involvement in them. Just to make it absolutely clear, none of this was intended to help find the teenagers, since the Israeli authorities already knew they were dead. It was intended to target, humiliate, and provoke Hamas in order to destroy the prospect of a national unity government, which the Israeli government has condemned ever since the reconciliation between Hamas and Fatah. So what we are looking at is gross manipulation and cynicism on an epic scale, yet no major Western political figure has had a thing to say about it, and they never will. And now that the rockets are flying back and forth, the last five weeks have been forgotten, and we are back to the familiar narrative of Israeli's right to defend itself. As on previous occasions, Hamas has once again proven itself to be a kind of enemy that Israel might have wanted to invent if it didn't already exist, and done everything that Netanyahu could have wanted it to. Just to be clear, Hamas should not be firing rockets, not only because firing rockets at civilians is a war crime, however does it, does it, and and whoever does it, and for whatever reason, but because this form of resistance accomplishes nothing at all for the Palestinians, either politically or militarily. And I even question if the Hamas are really firing those damn things, or if it's if it's the Israelis, you know, just just doing it. You know what I mean? Just just to, just to yeah, because what could just flag do? Operation. You know, just like they did with nine one one, with yeah, everything. You know, they, they, these guys are are experts at at false flags. Mhm. Uh, the rockets fired by Hamas and other Palestinian organizations may disrupt ordinary life in some southern Israeli cities, or even further, they may force civilians to take shelter and blow up the occasional car or kill someone. But these are mere pinpricks compared with the vast high-tech arsenals that Israel has at its disposal. Even if Israel spokesmen and Western governments willfully ignore his imbalance, the Gazans cannot avoid it or escape it. 
It is grossly irresponsible of Hamas and other resistance groups in Gaza to engage in military action that repeatedly exposes defenseless Palestinians. Yeah, I agree with them fully. That's why, I, for some reason, I don't believe Hamas is actually doing it. Okay? The idea of struggle to cope with this because it's already, it always feels more comfortable in strict military confirmations than it had been uh, trained to fight and know it can kill and win. Rocket versus rocket resistance can uh, provide a symbolic expression of Palestinian indomitability, but it marginalizes Palestinian civil society and limits resistance to a feeble and ineffective militarism, leaving Gazans unable to do anything but shelter from Israeli bombing and tend to uh, their dead and wounded. You know, it's really amazing. Uh, well, this is all done, but yeah. at the same time, it enables Israel to represent itself internationally as a victim at a time when there's, when even the Israeli government recognizes support for a Zionist project is at an all-time low. That said, everything that Israel has done these last few weeks was intended to goad, humiliate, and provoke Hamas, and better to continue its division and domination of the Palestinians and the ongoing denial of their rights in which the states that are now supporting the latest Brits of, of Gaza have so disgracefully colluded. So whatever mistakes Hamas may have made, Gaza's Groundhog Day cannot be reduced once again to the old lie about how best to guarantee Israelis, uh, Israel's security, or even as an act of revenge on the murdered teenagers. It must be seen for what it is. As political violence in the broadest sense, those ultimate target is not Hamas, but the dreams of the Palestinian people and the prospect of peace with real justice. So, you know, that ain't going to happen. You know, I don't understand this thing with Hamas. I, they, they sound to me like they're, they're just, uh, you know, being puppets of, of the Israelis. You know? uh-huh. That's all they are. You know, what are they I doing? Always, I they're always wondered these about the freaking bombs over Palestinian authority, what they were. They were, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the Palestinians have been poorly, 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 poorly led. And uh, that's why they're getting nowhere but bombed. This is something that says, 60,000 people isn't illegal immigration. It's an invasion. That's pertaining to all these people that are coming over the border now in the United States from Honduras other place. Uh, it's a horrible thing. It's a horrible thing. Yeah. And they can't stop it. You know, they can't. They can't stop it. They won't stop it. Let's just say that. They can't stop it. They won't. So. Yeah. Hmm. We usually cover some health issues. There's a little something. Um, uh, this woman, uh, That's the girl from, uh... What? From that show, the one that you like to watch. No. Looks like her. Uh, this woman said, oh, the Ph.D. in neuroscience, but refuses to vaccinate. And it says, uh, uh, we are a non-vaccinating family, but I make no claims about people's individual decisions. We base ours on research and decisions in our pediatrician, and we've been happy with that decision, but obviously there's a lot of current controversy around it. I am Hollick Bilek, Ph.D. in neuroscience. So she's, she's, not, she's not vaccinating herself or her children. Uh, 
Okay. You actually believe criminals? Uh, oh. I said, you actually believe criminals will obey gun control laws? They're a special kind of stupid, aren't you? <laughs> Yeah, and criminals do not obey gun laws. I mean, it's, it's absurd. Did you know a 2005 Supreme Court decision declared that it is not the duty of any police force in the U.S. to protect citizens, just enforce laws? Amazing. How about that? Yeah. That's what I mean. Albert Einstein, once you stop learning, you start dying. He's right about that. Ah, in Massachusetts, patients sue Massachusetts for access to marijuana, the Boston Globe. Didn't they pass yeah, uh, they medical did, marijuana? They're not providing it. Oh, okay. Well, caregiver to resume selling. Fifteen patients and a self caregiver who has been selling them marijuana for Medicaid use are seeking a court order that will allow them to resume until dispensaries are open in Massachusetts. The patients who say they suffer from cancer, MS, and other debilitating conditions, and William Downing, who owns Reading-based Yankee Caregivers, filed a suit Thursday in the state Supreme Judicial Court alleging that state officials have harmed patients by warning Downing to close his flourishing marijuana delivery business. The suit says the state's failure to get medical marijuana dispensaries running more than 18 months after a law legalizing it for medical use went into effect has created a hardship for patients. Without Downing services, the suit says patients are irreparably injured by being deprived of a safe, reliable, supply of marijuana medical products in the absence of a registered medical marijuana treatment center, all to their great harm. A spokesman for the Department of Public Health declined to comment on this suit. The Department of Public Health sent letters to more than 1,300 patients and 17 caregivers in late June, warning them that state regulations pro prohibit any caregiver from selling marijuana to more than one patient. A, a, a spokesman, the health department. Regulators identify the caregivers and patients from letters they, they sent to the health department to register with the state. Downing, who estimated the Yankee caregivers delivered cannabis products to 1,000 patients statewide, told the Globe uh, that he suspended service after receiving a cease and desist letter from the state. Georgetown lawyer Stephen Epstein who filed a suit on behalf of Downing and the patients is seeking a temporary restraining order against the Department of Health, public commissioner, who would allow Yankee caregivers to resume business without interfering from state officials. He asked the court to hold a hearing on his request by July 16th. No date is set. The suit urges the court to rule that Downing may obtain marijuana from any source whatsoever and sell it to qualified patients until marijuana dispensaries have product available. And during an interview in May, Downing, a longtime activist for legalizing marijuana, said uh, obtained marijuana grown by old hippies, then had, uh, had it tested at a local lab before selling it to marijuana patients. Voters approved the use of marijuana for medicinal purposes. The law requires the state's health department to register up to 35 medical marijuana dispensaries 
within a year of January 1st, which was when it went into effect. The state selection process has been mired in controversy and legal challenges, allegations of misrepresentation by applicants, and admission by officials that they failed to fully vet applicants before selecting 20 for primary licenses. On June 27th, the state announced that 11 of those 20 will receive preliminary licenses. However, they must pass inspections and get local approval. Most are not expected to open until next year. Sure. Yeah. State regulations, now patients uh, with doctors provided certificates to grow marijuana or have a caregiver cultivate it or obtain it for them, up to 10 ounces for a 60-day supply. So they still can't get it, huh? No. You have to and close that window. A, there's a caregiver there, that uh, the poor caregiver guy, he was, he was doing it. Mm-hmm. And he was selling it, but he was selling it to patients because there was no other way to get it than to get it. You have to close that window. Yeah, we're going to do that. Yeah, we have a storm coming. Yeah, we have uh, lightning and thunder, and it's really coming down, Leo. Nancy Pelosi says illegal aliens should only be deported if they break a law. Like if you agree, they already did. Yeah. That's why they call them illegal, Dave. I don't know. Oh, I guess she doesn't get it. No, Nancy Pelosi is not the brightest ball in the universe. She's the one that she's the one that told everybody to that they had to pass the Obamacare bill in order to find out what was in it. Isn't that amazing? Mm. That is a brilliant woman. Folks, I get I get tired. I get so tired of this sometimes. I just, you know. How about this one? Uh, U.S. kidnaps Russian MP's son to exchange him for Snowden. A Russian MP claims that the U.S. kidnapped his son from the Maldives on a bogus cyber fraud charge, and may be preparing to offer him as bait in a swap deal for Edward Snowden. somebody 
one can only wonder. He cannot contact his son and claims American authorities are denying Roman his rights. They took him to Guam because American law is not fully applicable there. Excuse me, I'm sorry. The lawmaker explained. The MP said his son has scant computer skills and could not be involved in any sort of hacking. The U.S. Department of Justice and U.S. Secret Service announced Monday that Roman Selznyov was indicted on charges including identity theft, bank fraud, illegally accessing information on protected computers, and trafficking in unauthorized access devices. He is charged with stealing and selling U.S. citizens' credit card data between 2009 and 2011 and may face up to 30 years in prison if found guilty. Lee appeared in court on Monday and will be held in custody until his next hearing in two weeks. This important arrest sends a clear message. Despite the increasingly borderless nature of transitional organized crime, the long arm of justice in this department will continue to disrupt and dismantle sophisticated criminal organizations, said Jen Johnson, Secretary of Homeland Security. The Secret Service calls Blizniak one of the world's most prolific traffickers of stolen financial information. The Russian scheme involves multiple network intrusions and data thefts for illicit financial gain. And so the Secret Service... said the director of the Secret Service. The adverse impact this individual and other transitional organized criminal groups have on a nation's financial infrastructure is significant and should not be underestimated. The U.S. has a record of taking drastic steps when it wants people held in custody. The methods may vary from widely criticized practice of extraordinary rendition or the blatant kidnapping of terrorist suspects during the Bush era to put pressure on foreign governments to allow American agents a free hand on their soil. We maybe should think about um, ending the show, Leo, with this thunder and lightning out there. We might end it a little early. So I think we should end it now before we get... Before we get get blown up here. (laughs) (laughs) We thank you for listening as as long as you could. I want to leave you with one good... the middle of a big storm. One good news. Cannabis kicks Lyme disease to the curb. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that a good thing? So we're gonna we're gonna leave now <laughs> yep. before we get blown up here by a lightning strike. So uh, thanks for being with us and join us tomorrow night.